In today's Full Dig podcast, we look back chronologically with chapter 35 dealing with the events during the reign of Jehoiakim. The message of chapter 35 is simple and clear, with the Rechabites serving as examples of obedient children in stark contrast to the people of Judah. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss this chapter with added commentary on archaeology, C.S. Lewis, and John Calvin. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me as always is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. Kirk, good to be with you this morning. Good to uh, look at the book of Jeremiah again with you. Yeah, very interesting text we had on Sunday, and I think in our pre-meeting, the pastor's prep meeting on Thursday, Pastor Steve said something to the effect that you probably haven't heard this preached before. I've never heard a sermon on this chapter of Jeremiah preached before. All those years you've preached and you never preached it? I never preached on this, no, but it's it's a good chapter to mull over in one's mind. Yeah, Pastor Steve did a great job. Actually, when I was sitting in that meeting, I'm like going, "Is what's what's he going to say about this text? But And then he made such a great reference to the you know, the idea that God keeps promises and, you know, the, and then his transition to the table was brilliant. And I thought that was really excellent. Yeah, really good. Well, our text is uh, Jeremiah 35, 1 through 19. And uh, you have uh, volunteered to lead off with all the tricky names. So I have. So I'll read the first part of that chapter, which is the passage that Pastor Steve looked at. And then, Kirk, if you'll read the rest of the chapter, that'll get us into what we're looking at today. Very good. Thanks. So this is Jeremiah chapter 35, beginning at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So he went to get Jezariah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, and his brother, and all his sons, the whole family of the Rechabites. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the rooms, the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Messiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rechabites and said to them, Drink some wine. But they replied, We do not drink wine, because our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this commandment. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seeds, or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but must always live in tents. Then you will live a long time in the land where you are now nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab, son of Rechab, said or commanded us. Neither we, nor our wives, nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded this land, he said, Come. We must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonian and Aramean armies. So we have remained in Jerusalem. 
All right, and continuing on on verse 12, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Go and tell the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord? Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept to this day. They do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Again and again I sent all my servants, the prophets, to you. They said, Each of you must turn from your wicked ways and reform your actions. Do not follow other gods to serve them. Then you will live in the land I have given you and your ancestors. But you have not paid attention or listened to me. The descendants of Jehonadab, son of Rechab, have carried out the command their forefathers gave them. But these people have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring on Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they did not listen. I called to them, but they did not answer. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather Jehonadab, and have followed all his instructions, and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a descendant to serve me. So we actually know quite a bit about this ancestor of theirs, Jehonadab, son of Rechab. He was somebody that um, earlier, a couple centuries earlier, was involved in the purge of Baal worshipers in the northern kingdoms. This is following um, Ahab and Jezebel, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And uh, their grandson is on the throne. And there was another uh, leader in the northern tribes called Jehu. And he says, you know, it's time to put an end to all of this Baal worship and get back to worshiping the Lord God Almighty. So he goes out and he rides out in his chariot to different tribes. He's talking with them. And one of the tribal leaders he meets with is Jehonadab, son of Rechab. And he says to him, are you in accord with me as I am with you? And Jehonadab answers, I am. If so, said Jehu, give me your hand. So he did. And Jehu helped him up into the chariot. Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Then he had him ride along in his chariot. So this is from Second uh, Kings chapter 10. And what's interesting in the story is that though uh, Jehu goes and has the same sort of talk with a lot of people, it's only Jehonadab that he invites up into his chariot. So apparently a, a well-respected leader mm-hmm. and somebody that was involved in uh, really drawing part of Israel back into worship of the one true God. Mm-hmm. Now he had a different response than, uh, say, the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets are of a mind that God's people can be redeemed. And that's why the warning goes out to them. You know, change your ways now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the culture is redeemable. Uh, people can change. But Jehonadab was of the opinion that culture can't change. Mm. The culture was too corrupt. So instead of um, returning to the Lord, it's return to the wilderness, return to the older ways, become nomads like our old ancestors were. And so they remain this uh, Bedouin type of people, no permanent dwellings, so they had areas where they 
would uh, camp out in tents. Uh, but this was, uh, you know, as Pastor Steve said, you might think of them as like uh, Amish or, you know, a branch of Christianity that really tries to maintain simpler ways so that they can focus on God and family and things uh, that are precious. Mm-hmm. But uh, from a perspective, the culture is just too corrupt. We have to really set ourselves apart from it. Mm-hmm. And the time of this passage in Jeremiah is during the reign of Jehoiakim, and we're told in verse 11 of this chapter that it was a time when the Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, had invaded the land. And we know that happened in the third year of Jehoiakim. So it's probably around 607 B.C. that this takes place. And as Pastor Steve mentioned in his sermons, we hear about the Rechabites uh, a generation or two later in the book of Nehemiah, where the, uh, the gates of Jerusalem are being redone and the dung gate towards the south of the city. Mm-hmm. That's the section of the wall and the gate that's redone by one of the Rechabite leaders of that later generation. Malchiah. Yeah. So... Uh, a great insight into a very obscure group of people. There were probably Kenites, uh, Moses' father-in-law. The Midianites were part of the Kenites. Mm-hmm. And uh, these were folks that uh, were monotheists, like the Israelites, and they were incorporated into the Israelite population because they were colleagues of what the Israelites were doing. Mm. That's great. Well, in the you know in this text, the... And in the sermon, Pastor Steve really was highlighting the idea of these people, the Rechabites, were people who were faithful and honored their vow to their their forefathers. Their forefathers say, live this way, and, and they honored it for 250 years. And that's an admirable quality, mm-hmm. uh, something that we should aspire uh, towards ourselves. So that kind of steadfastness is also highlighted in a couple of texts in the New Testament. And uh, I'd like to read those. The first comes from James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So hang in there. Mm -hmm. It'll come out right in the end. Yeah. And then the second one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. So not only do the right thing, but do it with the right attitude. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, in those times of trouble, to stand firm in, in the faith is to, you know, remember those promises of God. Yeah, focus on the right thing. Right. right. And then uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all the people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All right, our faithfulness, our steadfastness can have an effect on those around us, a very positive effect if we don't give up, if we don't uh, fall into despair. And then the last one is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, 
and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So this is one of the examples of a list of virtues that we see in the New Testament. We also see it in uh, ancient literature of the same time, the New Testament period. But here, uh, uh, saying if you have one virtue, you're doing well in one area, add to that, add a little bit more. And perseverance or steadfastness is certainly among the virtues we want to add to and encourage in one another. It mirrors closely to Paul's... uh fruits of the Spirit, or some of the other virtues he lists in uh, 1 Corinthians. Yeah, it made me think of Romans chapter 5, too, where it says um, uh, suffering can lead to perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, Mm. and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Yeah, that's great. Romans 5, yeah, Mm. uh, really great things for us to remember and to use to encourage one another. With. And those are the promises of God. Exactly. That, you know, those, those, that's the promise. We're, we're going to be able to be steadfast because we know the promises of God. We, had, we need to remind each other of those. Absolutely. Well, each week we have a discussion about archaeology. And Bruce, we're going to talk about the boule or bula, uh, Bula being singular and Bule multiple, you you have more information on this. I do. You know, uh, the strange name of these things makes me think of those old rock songs, Bula Bula, and <laughs> yeah. things well, like that. We are certainly digging deep. We now. are digging deep. So, remember last time? Last time when we left our heroes, I was mourning the fact, yeah, that uh, the this Bula, actually two of them, the two Bule that we've uncovered in an uh, purchase in antique market in the 1970s uh, had a seal impression that mentions Baruch, the son of Neriah, mm-hmm. the scribe, of course, was a friend of Jeremiah. Right. And I had just read at that point a archaeological report that said, not so fast, there's uh, a couple things wrong with this. Uh, it was um, dried instead of fired. I said it the wrong way in our last podcast, but it was dried instead of fired. And mm-hmm. Those uh, boule that we've uh, been able to look at from archaeological digs that were recovered from archaeological digs and not from the antique market, those seem to be dried and or seem to be fired instead of dried. Yeah, and then the other question was whether they had like a sealant on them or a uh, glaze. Right. Uh, this had a uh, two types of artificial products on them. Uh, that that made them look like, well, did they use that to make it look older than it really was? Mm-hmm. And the third uh, difficulty about this is that it was made out of uh, not the terra rosa soil that you would expect, but it made out of a different type of um, a clay instead. Mm. So I read that report, and I'm very discouraged. I said, ah, you know, these things have been in museums for decades, and now it looks like they're not authentic. Right. Well, then there was a response article, a technical article in Archaeological Journal that said, wait, maybe you've rushed to a conclusion too quickly. And one of the three people that authored that response article was my old archaeological professor, Gabi Barkai. And since he's somebody I trust, I thought, well, I got to pay attention to this. And uh, he and his two colleagues said, you know, 
we can't prove that it's genuine, but the objections that were raised to it, well, they can all be answered because we do in fact have examples from archaeological digs of uh, uh, boule that were not fired. Uh, usually they would be fired when there was a fire in a room and it burned up all the documents and that fired the uh, the soil that yeah, was used I to was, seal the... I, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up because I was wondering to myself, thinking, well, you, you have this clay-like substance and you're going to seal a document. How do you fire that document? Yeah, so that's that's what would happen. The document would burn up and that would have enough heat mm. to uh, fire the, okay. the clay and turn into uh, more stable pottery. Right. But even uh, from archaeological digs, we have examples of uh, these boule that were not fired that way. Uh, they were still just dried, and they were preserved for 3,000 years. So that's significant. We have a couple examples of, uh, or one example of, or two of boule that were uh, not made out of terra rosa soil, but made out of this other clay that these uh, are made out of. And also found in an archaeology dig? That's right, found in C2 in an archaeological dig. Hmm. And the third objection uh, that uh, it seemed to have two artificial chemicals placed on them, uh, the response article said, well, those were earlier preservation techniques that were used back in the 70s, not used now, because hmm. uh, we have better um, ways to preserve those sorts of things. But back in the day, that was... Uh, the top shelf way to do that. And uh, under testimony in an Israeli court, the person that had bought the seal said, well, yeah, I had a business preserving antiquities and these are the two th substances I used. Mm. So it gives me hope that, well, maybe these are genuine after all, mm. which just means, gosh, I haven't studied formally archaeology in 40 years and it's beginning to show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you have done a full dig on the boule and boula, so... Uh, well, let me mention the three other uh, boule we have that okay. mention other names of people that are found in the book of Jeremiah. We have a seal impression of Gedaliah. He's the one that's appointed governor of Judah after the fall of Jerusalem in 586. Mm. And he was somebody that was uh, uh, very appreciative of Jeremiah and supported him. Another was uh, Jedukal. He's one of uh, three people that were sent to Jeremiah by King Zedekiah, the last king of Jerusalem, and uh, sent with this word, Jer uh, Jeremiah, pray for a city. And uh, Jeremiah sends back to them, anybody that's still in the city is going to die. So oh. <laughs> a pretty bad uh, thing to bring back to the king after that. <laughs> and a third seal we have is Gemariah. He was one of the two people that took the letter to the exiles that uh, Jeremiah wrote and that we read about in Jeremiah 29. So, again... Well, oh, these are great boulas to, or boule to, uh, because they all have some kind of tie to Jeremiah. Yeah, so I just thought maybe you had a couple of randos. No, no, four four different people, including Baruch, we seem to have seal impressions uh, that have survived from this time. So it really puts brings the Bible to life when I think about these things. Well, each week, Bruce, we've also looked at our eco-essential tenants and... Section 3, Section C, Covenant Life in the Church. It says, We are elect in Christ to become members of the community 
of the new covenant. This covenant, which God himself guarantees, unites us to God and to one another. Already in the creation, we discover that we are made to live in relationship to others, male and female, created together in God's image. In Christ, we are adopted into the family of God and find our new identity as brothers and sisters of one another. Since we now share one Father, our faith requires active participation in that covenant community. Jesus prays that his followers will be one. And so we both pray and work for the union of the church throughout the world. Even where institutional unity doesn't seem possible, we are bound to other Christians as brothers and sisters. In Christ, the dividing wall of hostility created by nationality, ethnicity, gender, race, and language differences is brought down. God created people so that the rich variety of his wisdom might be reflected in the rich variety of human beings. And the church must already now begin to reflect the eschatological reality of people from every tribe and tongue and nation bringing the treasures of their kingdoms into the new city of God. Following Christ really is a team sport, mm. something that we do together, and that, en- that encouragement to, to st- for steadfastness to stick with it something that we do together Hmm. well that's a good word for us christians who um may have some other issues with other denominational bodies issues do christians (laughs) have issues kirk well we're presbyterian we like to fight oh that's true and separate that's true fight and fight that's right well, uh, we also usually have a C.S. Lewis quote, and I've brought one from Mere Christianity, where Lewis is talking about faith and the nature of faith and how to nurture a habit of faith. Lewis writes, Now faith, in the sense in which I'm using the word here, is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. For moods will change, whatever your view of reason takes. I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly improbable. This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they can get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist. But just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, we must train the habit of faith. The first step is to recognize that your moods change. The next is to make sure that if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why daily prayer and religious reading and church-going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. Hmm. Really echoes what James says about trusting our feelings or being tossed to and fro because of the way, you know, our feelings can mislead us. 
and James cautions against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a reminder for all of us to hold on to faith. Mm-hmm. And Kirk, usually we have a quotation from our great reform heritage. And did you find anything from our great reform heritage, Sean? Mm-hmm. I was curious because Pastor Steve was in his sermon saying that we didn't know exactly um, when this happened. It's, right. You kind of narrowed it down. I mean, we have some guesses. Um, but but the, the big thing there is that Jeremiah is not written in chronological order. So you do jump around chronologically mm-hmm. as you move from chapter to chapter. Yeah. Right. It's very confusing. Well, and it, I, I read earlier on in this study, too, that that's commonplace in uh, sort of uh, refugee language or refugee writings that they're they're kind of writings they're 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 jumbled they're jumbled yeah Yeah. but anyway uh calvin had this to say and i was a little surprised to find calvin i never think of him as being one who does uh you know textual criticism you know he usually is pretty solid on that's what the word is and that's what the word says you know right and here he does say about this text that we looked at today that it must be observed that the order of time in which the prophecies were written has not been retained. In history, the regular succession of days and years ought to be preserved, but in prophetic writings, this is not so necessary. Hence, what I have said is evident that Jeremiah did not write the book as it exists now, but that his discourses were collected and formed into a volume without regard to the order of time. The same may be also gathered from the prophecies which shall hereafter see the uh, 45th uh, chapter to the end of the 50th chapter. A reminder to us about the scene in the book of Jeremiah where um, Jeremiah has all of the prophecies collected and written out. Uh, Baruch writes them, them out, reads them in the temple area, and eventually that collection of readings of prophecies of Jeremiah is taken to the king. King is before fire, takes out a little small knife, cuts out each line, throws it into the fire until the whole thing's burned, and then poor Baruch has to write it a second time. Right. And that's where he says he begins to move things around and add a bit of history to, to give some context into what's going on there. Right. What impact does the oral tradition have in this as well? Well, again, the oral tradition, we, we see the esteem in which Jeremiah is held by later generations. Mm-hmm. You know, he predicted, or God, God gave him prophecies, all those prophecies came true. And so he's honored and lifted up. He says he was somebody that was steadfast. He says, look, we got to return to God. we got to get back to the basics of trusting in God rather than the superpower of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, that esteem in which Jeremiah is held now by later generations or by us today because we're still going back to Jeremiah. I thought I think that's an example, you know, to stick with it. You know, mm-hmm. if you're doing something you know is right, even if the tide of public opinion is against you, mm-hmm. uh, if you trust in God and you're humble about it, uh, this is a good thing. We need to encourage that faithfulness in one another. Yeah, I really liked in Pastor Steve's sermon too where he said maybe this was written for Jeremiah. Of course, it's a good word for us was a good word for the Hebrew people, but a real important word for Jeremiah to know that there were some people. That Faithful actually, people, besides himself. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
that's always good to know that you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Bruce, would you pray for us? Love to. Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you would help us to remember that we are not alone. We who are trying to follow you. Uh, sometimes we go through very difficult things. Sometimes we feel out there all alone. So, Lord, remind us that we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses that have gone before us, but also people that are faithful today trying to follow you. Even if we are from different cultures and we have different habits, Lord, you are crafting a people to be your very own. Lord, keep on crafting us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you.